right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Philly Experience Podcast. It's great to be back with everyone today uh, in a sports world right now in Philadelphia that's basically at a point where we have no idea what direction they're going in. We have the Sixers, the Flyers. They made a big-time trade. To, we got to touch on that towards the end, of course, at some we know point it's hard. in this show. We also have the Eagles, of course, uh, the Phillies. There's so many directions that, you know, it's, it's a four-way cross. You know, you have each four of these teams going one direction or the other, and it's all stuff that we have to talk about and, and bring up on this show, not only here, but but maybe in, in future shows as well. But for you, I know I know that we got a birthday boy in the house today, so <laughs> I want to shout you out there. Uh, Middle of summer birthday. Yeah, summer birthdays are different. Yeah, so I'm a November birthday, so I don't know what the experience is like, of course, to have a summer birthday. But it's almost like you have a summer vacation as a kid, but then your birthday is kind of sandwiched in between there. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds. And it's always been hot as hell on my birthday. First off, I appreciate it. It's always been hot as hell on my birthday. And uh, yeah, it, it's been no different. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm one year older, closer to 30. Not digging that part. I felt like I need a cane and some Bengay. But you know what? It's all good. It's all good. Um, un- unfortunately, I-, I share a birthday also with a certain superstar who's really, you know, not the most popular in town. That'd be one Ben Simmons. So, you know, there's there's that little fact that I have. But, yeah, summer birthdays are, you know, they're just it, it, you're smack dead in the middle of summer. It's hot. You know, you're, you you want to celebrate with your friends. But, you know, your friends is doing their own thing. So you just got to spend some time with your family if, you know, if they feel like doing anything with you. But it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, I love it. No doubt. You have uh, when you're in school as a kid, everybody wants to say hi to you. Everybody wants to see you. Right. Even at dinner table, you get the cake. You, everybody stands around the table now. It's like as you get into the 20s, it's like, all right, well, what am I doing today on my birthday? Oh, I'm working. You yep. know, so it's a whole yes. different world. But yes, uh, let, let's let's start off here about the show and just touch on the the Philadelphia Phillies. We got to start there. I know they're coming off the All Star break mm-hmm. and they've been playing you know pretty solid baseball for the most part. Yeah, getting healthy, trying to stay uh, you know in the swing of things when it comes to getting the W's on the field. And they come off a big time series win against the Miami Marlins, three out of four at home versus the Miami Marlins. At that point in time, they were in the stretch of games where they're going to play their next twenty two of thirty at home. So that's where they get their home cooking right now. They're a very good home team. We all know that. They usually always have been. Even during these last few years where they haven't made the playoffs, they still have been a good home team. And from what I've seen so far, you obviously have gone from Hector Neris as the closer to Alvarado as the closer and then Ranger Suarez as the closer. So now we have Ranger Suarez. He's been hit or miss, really. He had a couple of nice outings, uh, especially a couple weeks ago against the Padres. He had a nice save. Um, and then he's been, you know, he came into the Red Sox game uh, late on the game right before the All-Star break Sunday. Mm-hmm. Had a very nice game against the Boston Red yep. Sox and then had a blown save in that Marlins series. Uh, but nonetheless, he's been relatively solid. I don't know if I would want to keep him in there. And obviously, we're going to get to that discussion about the trade and what who can we acquire, maybe in the bullpen, maybe uh, in the starting lineup as well. But let's just talk about this team right now. Touch on the division and kind of see where your head's at when we look at, look at the New York Mets. They're not really pulling away here in the division. The Phillies have actually gained some ground. They're now second in the National League East. Ronald Acuna Jr. for the Braves gets hurt. He's done for the year, so that helps the Phillies. You never want to see an injury to a superstar player in in general, of course. But that's going to help the Phillies be able to try to propel them to making their first playoff appearance in like 10 years. And and you know what? I agree with you. And it's funny because, you know, before – you know, our last show before the All-Star game, you know, we were at, you know, we're discussing whether or not, you know, this team should really be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. And, you know, it honestly, it, it's it's a toss-up because, like you said, like now they're playing good, but we've seen this before. Like this is where my optimism kind of dies down a little bit. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer or anything like that, but my issue is we've seen this story before. Like we've, we've read this script before. The Phillies will start off hot. The bats will get hot. All right, now it looks like the bullpen is starting to get itself together a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you'll just go on a streak where they can't field, can't play defense, they can't hit, they can't pitch. And it for me, it's it's annoying. And in order for me to really be 100% back into this team, like I need some level of consistency. I see the consistency now, but is it temporary? Is it going to stay? Is it is it, you know, is it sustainable? That's my issue. That's always been my issue is the, is the sustainability of this team when they are doing well. And the reality is it like we be like we've been saying week in and week out. They're very up and down. Now, I agree with you. 
Now, the Marlins series, man, we've struggled against the Marlins in recent years. For some reason, that was like that's always been like the bottom feeder of the NL East. And for some reason or another, the Phillies have always struggled with the Marlins. But, you know, luckily, we, like you said, we won the three out of the four in the series, which is really good. That's really promising. And we're finally above 500. That's amazing. Everything is look. Everything looks like it's going to be on the up and up. So now it's looking like okay, maybe the Phillies might actually look out, you know, in the trade wire and possibly trade for some people, possibly trade for some for some bullpen pieces. And I think they definitely need it if that's the only way they're going to be able to go far or even sniff the playoffs. And it also helps that you know the Mets aren't exactly running away with the division as well. So eh, the argument could be made that. You know, the Phillies are going to possibly make some trades before the deadline. But my thing is, you know, it is this play sustainable? The play has to be sustainable in order for these trades to make sense if you are going to trade for anybody. Yeah, see, I agree with you. I think that consistency word that you use is great. And that's kind of what we're going to lead to next. Of course, we're hearing rumors about Byron Buxton from the Twins starting the Marte, who the Phillies just saw in that Marlins series, Craig Kimball, Chris Bryant. We're going to touch on that in one second. But I do want to bring up, uh, the Phillies here as a team in general and touch on their bench. You know, Ronald Torres has played great defense. Alec Boehm, obviously out with COVID right now. I don't think, uh, I don't know if he has the vaccine or doesn't have the vaccine. Um, and then that's a whole nother discussion. The guy yeah. should be able to get the vaccine at this point, of course. Um, and you want to see him be able to do that. And of course it's up to them. It's their, you know, it's their right. Uh, it's right. their decision, but you definitely don't want to see guys getting sick in the middle of the season at this point. But I think when you look at other teams around the league, of course, this time of year, yeah, they want a bullpen arm, but, Mostly they want a bench batter, somebody off the bench that can give them some pop. The Phillies bench actually isn't poor. You know, Brad Miller, Travis Jankowski has played pretty solid baseball. Torres, like I mentioned, of course, Luke Williams has held his own at, at the major league level, and even though he's a rookie. And Alec Bohm, who we haven't seen really, uh, maybe that has led to better defense for the Phillies uh, through a short stretch. And when by short, I mean four games that we've seen without Alec Bohm so far. He's going to be coming back soon uh, off of the COVID list, and Aaron Nola is going to get to start tonight against the New York Yankees, a guy who struggled uh, recently in a Phillies uniform on the mound, and we need to see him be able to bounce back, hopefully, uh, and pitch like, you know, not an ace, because we have Zach Wheeler for that yeah. now, but at least a number two uh, if the Phillies want to make a legit run. But It's funny now that you, real okay, quick, yeah, yeah, go ahead, real quick I, I it's wanted... funny that you mentioned a number two, because there's also been, I've also heard some rumors going around, and I've read a couple of articles that uh, um, apparently a former Phillies pitcher was, you know, was practicing for a couple of teams, including the Phillies, was there as well, and that'd be one Cole Hamels. I don't know how you would feel about that, but, you know, that is out well, there. Yeah, listen, I think one of the things with this team is they need a starting pitcher in the back end, a 4-5. Velasquez hasn't been able to get the job done, and Matt Moore, of course, he is also another guy who I use that term again, hit or miss. You know, he came back against the Cubs a few weeks ago before the All-Star break, had a pretty solid outing. He's not a guy that's going to go deep in the games. So we know that. He's going to give you four or five, maybe, and then it's a bullpen game from that point on. But surprisingly, the Phillies have had decent bullpen options. Bailey Falter, who's a guy who's able to go two or three innings, and he's been relatively solid. Even Ranger Suarez, as our quote-unquote closer now, he's another guy that can go two or three innings as well, if needed. I don't think Joe Girardi wants to use him in that role anymore. Now that he's technically the closer, he probably only wants to see him go one or two innings and not stretch him out any further. But from what I see with this team right now, the offense has been better, but it's still not where it needs to be based on what we've seen from the bullpen in the past and the starting rotation. Eflin, a guy who's really at times has looked very solid, but other times has not. And, and that's kind of where you, again, back to your word, the consistency factor. So what I really need to see from this team in the second half of the year, I need a starting pitching to become more consistent. Yes. I need Aaron Nola to snap out of it and Eflin to you know pitch better than what he's done so far. And then I need the Phils to go out, and if they can get both a bullpen arm like a Craig Kimbrell and also a back-end starter like a Cole Hamels, I think that would round out your rotation and also have an anchor in the back end of your bullpen where in a times of need, he's a guy that you can rely on to go one, two, three, hopefully in the ninth inning. The only risk being what we've seen from him in a Red Sox uniform in the last couple of years, he hasn't pitched well. And this year, he's on the books for $16 million, I think next year also. So when you talk about acquiring him, I do want a Craig Kimber on my baseball team, yes. but I'm not willing to give up a big chunk of young prospect talent because the Phillies really don't have a lot of prospect talent. I think the key in the negotiations would be Craig Kimball's contract is very big. The Cubs are looking to rebuild. Hopefully you can get him for, you know, maybe a couple of cheap end or low end prospects, I should say, instead of 
selling the whole farm. And that's the one thing that I think that the Phillies ultimately, you know, they have to stop doing, you know, in few in you know in the near future. And that is, you know, if you have these high end prospects, you've got to stop trading them away because you want, you know, you want a, a gain currently today. Like you also have to, you know, work towards. Of course, it's good to work towards the team that you currently have, and you know, try to compete for a World Series championship. But at the same time, you also have to look at your future. And I think that's the biggest issue. We have all these prospects, but none of them are really capable of sustaining, you know, a, a decent play at the MLB level. I think that's an issue. And it's something that we we as a group have addressed before. And it unfortunately, it, it seems like the Phillies continue to do this where they just want like they want a good team now and they're just willing to trade away prospects. And that's not necessarily always the smartest thing to do. I've always said, you know, it, it doesn't matter what sport it is i've always believed in building through the draft all right you have these players that come up to the system they know the system and then when they come up to the mlb level they're ready you know trading them away you don't know the potential they could possibly have and there are a couple examples out there where us trading away these prospects have bit us in the butt so in the end we really have to stop doing that for future for future terms we really do yeah, agreed. I think we talk about the center field position the whole season long. We, we talked about the hole that's been in center field. Odubel Herrera kind of came up uh, early on in the season and kind of filled that void. Then he gets hurt. Jankowski's actually been pretty solid in a backup role. But that's still a position of need. And I don't really want to have to give up, like I said, a ton of prospects to go out there and get a star like Marte or Craig Kimball. I think Chris Bryant at this point, so many teams are interested in Chris Bryant because of the utility player that he is. He can play third base. He can play the outfield, the corner outfield positions, right or left field, I believe. So a guy like that is going to be, you know, on the market for a high price if you're trying to go out there and get him. That's why I think the Phillies are probably out on him. But I will say starting Marte is another one of those positions where he doesn't want to be in Miami long term. I don't believe he actually turned down a big time contract offer from the Miami Marlins recently. So I think that could be another situation where the Phillies can go to Miami and say, hey, listen, Marte wants out. We're not going to give you a big, you know, a big chunk of prospects, a big chunk of change for Starling Marte, a guy who's not even going to be with you guys in the long term. I think that's where the Phillies can work out, you know, well on that end of the deal, just like by Kimbrell possibly. And those two guys uh, will definitely be highly targeted, I hope, for the Phillies. But at the end of the day, what we have now is not good enough no. to win the division. And I think the front office recognizes that. And I believe we're going to go out there and make a move or two. And it, only time will tell if it's going to be the right ones to really push us over the edge. Yep. Because our schedule, uh, based on uh, what I've heard from reporters and what I've heard from experts around the league, is that they had the second easiest schedule moving forward here in the second half of the year. And I don't think the Nationals, again, dealing with those injuries with Strasburg out, Kyle Schwarber out, they're struggling right now. They're way under 500. The Braves, like I mentioned, Racuna getting hurt. The Mets are the one team we're chasing right now. And, you know, based on what they, they've played like recently over the weekend against Pittsburgh, that was a pretty crazy series. And uh, now going forward, they're going to have some some tough opponents coming up. And a team where I want to mention this real quick, They've played a ton of seven-inning doubleheaders this year, and that's one rule I hope MLB eliminates in the offseason because that they're just playing – when you have – you know, they're playing four less innings in, in, in a perspective from where I'm at, right? Because you have a 14-inning game, right, two seven-inning right. games. Right. That's 14 innings instead of playing nine and nine. So that's 18 innings. So they're playing four less innings than, like, the Phillies or even anybody else in the whole league. They're just – at least when people mention rules about baseball and how to change the game, you talk about the runner on second base. At least both teams have, are playing at the same strategy, right? Both teams have the run on second base. Not every team in the league is playing the same amount of doubleheaders and having the seven innings. And I think with the Phillies also not having the universal DH, that, that would have benefited them pretty well this year, in my opinion. And also the seven-inning doubleheaders, especially with a guy like Velasquez and Matt Moore, who don't go deep into games, that also would have benefited the Phillies. The thing of it is, and I, I, and I did like the DH rule, the universal DH rule. However, when you got guys like Otani – that wow. that's the yeah. argument right there as to the reason why there is no DH rule. All right. in the national association, like it, it's guys like that. So I agree with you on that. And now in terms of them, you know, making the seventh inning double headers, I understand why they did it, you know, to try to speed the game up and, in a way, I kind of agree with it because, you know, it, it, there's times when baseball can get very slow, very methodical, and get kind of boring. And I understand they're just trying to speed the game up, especially when you got, you know, contracts with cables and whatnot with, um, you know, the, these cable channels and whatnot. And, you know, they're on a strict time schedule. I, I understand all that. But, you know, I, I agree with you. There's some things you just can't touch. And, 
you know, that's one of those rules where I, I don't agree with because if a if a team plays, like you said, if a team plays, you know, four or less innings, that team has a bit of an advantage over whatever team they're going to face with. And it's also going to be an uneven amount of, you know, innings that a team will play. So they might want to consider going back to the whole you know, playing the ninth inning doubleheader thing. And listen, if you got the rest players, then just rest players. It's as simple as that. You've done it before. Some things just don't need to be touched. Agree. I think you know, we could talk we could talk for hours here about the rules in baseball yes. right now, of course, and how to how to speed things up and what we like and what we don't like. But at the end of the day, right now, uh, with a position the Phillies are in, of course, when we mentioned the universal DH and that was a big topic in the offseason, that definitely would have benefited the Phillies, especially having a guy like Brad Miller off the bench guy that can play multiple positions he's a you know he's a power threat uh at the plate and uh you know if he was able to be a dh in our lineup that would definitely be uh beneficial definitely uh but but nonetheless what the what the bats have been doing right now of course bryce harper's starting to heat up a little bit i like what gene segura has been doing i know he's taking a lot of heat in the city uh with his lack of effort over the years that he's been in a philly uniform but he's probably a top three hitter on the team right now uh right along there with jt and real muto and bryce harper so you got to like with that combination at the top of the lineup. I think Joe Girardi recognized that. He he moved Gene Segura to the leadoff spot. JT hits two now, and Bryce hits three now. After that, there's a combination of Reese Hoskins in the four spot, McCutcheon mm-hmm. in the four spot. Gregorius kind of hits there in the five spot. So I think at this point in the season, Joe kind of has a lineup that he really likes and are right. finally all healthy. So I like where the lineup's at. And, and I think, I mean, I don't know about your opinion, but I kind of like having that top three, because I really think that gets guys on base, and you've seen that, especially the start games, guys getting on base, Segura being aggressive and things like that. I can agree with you because one of the arguments that I kept making was, you know, we get guys on bases, but are we bringing them home? And now we finally have a lineup to where not only these guys are getting on bases, but now they're coming home, and I think it's wonderful. Now, I will say this. Joe already made a bold move by right, putting Andrew McCutcheon at the fourth spot. That's usually a power hitter spot. Man, McCutcheon's never really been known to be a power hitter. And the funny part is, it's working. Like, that's that's the crazy part. It's actually working. So, I, I, I alluded to this, you know, in a past episode. I said that, you know... Right now, Joe Girardi's just trying to experiment with these guys to see what's going to work. What where what lineup is he going to be able to use to get the best out of everyone? And I think now we're finally seeing the results, and he's finally figured it out. So that's why I said I've always said, you know, you guys need to stop being so hard on Girardi. I understand, you know, some of the reasons why, but I think some of it is he has to figure it out. I want to mention this real quick about Andrew McCutcheon. Hitting 229 on the season, very surprising. He's never been uh, this low, I don't believe, in his no. career this late into a season. But he has this he has his power stroke back a little bit. 16 home runs on the year. And maybe that's why Joe Girardi likes him recently in the cleanup spot. He's able to be able to drive in those runs and hit the ball out of the ballpark, which is surprising because he has he's been a guy in his career that's obviously when he was in his prime, an MVP, of course. But as he's gotten later on in his career, the average has dropped. But ever since he came back from that ACL injury, especially last year in the uh in the shortened season didn't look like he was the same player but now this year you know having a full off season or still be able to rehab and just get healthy it right. looks like he's been able to pencil himself in the middle of the phillies lineup and going from a leadoff spot position early in the year mm-hmm. to now the cleanup spot i mean that's a drastic change oh definitely definitely because you know the expectations are different for both positions you know you're expected to be you know that speed guy on the basis when you're you know first in the lineup and now you're fourth in the lineup. That's the guy that really drives the runs in. But like a, like we keep saying, it's been successful. It's working. His mm-hmm. power is actually, which is something that he hasn't really been known for throughout his career. But it seems like he's getting a little bit of power behind that bat. And I think it, I think it's really it's wonderful. It truly is. With, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think two things I want to mention here real quick. I got the T-shirt. I got the Phil's T-shirt on today if you're watching on the streaming <laughs> side of things. So. Um, I'm being, I'm a fan, but I'm also wearing the jacket, the suit jacket here, because you know I'm also trying to be a professional. So it's got the best of both worlds. <laughs> also, Tanner, Tanner again on vacation. I got to mention this. Tanner on vacation, so I'm happy for him. Hopefully, he's enjoying it. I hope he's able to call what? in later today for the show, and he'll be able to hop on and uh, give his opinions on what he's seen the last week or two uh, with these Phillies teams. But nonetheless, T, we got to transition here. I, I definitely know we got to get to the Eagles, and uh, of course, it's your birthday, so I want to give you the floor about this team. We got training camp coming up in a week. And where this team lies right now, again, we're in the same spot we've always been. And you know where my position is on this, needing to wait and see first because of how many changes have gone through this organization with the players, the coaching staff, and things like that. 
What are you feeling about this team right now? What have you seen or read, uh, whether it be on social media, you know, any kind of streaming platforms about this team? Because we haven't really been, you know, I guess we've been opened up more to them mm. based on what we've seen last year because of COVID and restrictions and stuff. But we haven't really gotten to see them come full circle with, you know, all their practice facility uh, work and all that stuff. Um, in terms of that, I, I will say this. Um, it's just, it, it's a, it's definitely a different feel from last year. I think last year was for me, last year was a real unknown and I, I couldn't put my finger on why, but I just kept thinking to myself as we were doing the broadcast, same way we're doing it now over zoom. And I'm just sitting there going, I don't know why, but I just feel, was it COVID? Was it the way everything was set up? Like it just felt different last year. Compared to this year, this year, you know, if you if you really listen to what you know people have been saying about the Eagles, there's there's some optimism. There's and I guess that comes with you know new coaches, new players, like a new way of thinking, a new regime. You know, everything is fresh now, so I can understand the level of optimism. The only thing I would caution is the fact that with everything new, also comes with experimentation. What do I mean by that? Look. This is a new coach. Nick Sirianni's never been a coach before. All right. It, it, this head coaching thing is all new to him. Now, the videos I've seen, how intense he is, how he's, you know, concerned with the running backs and ball control and how crisp wide receivers run their routes. Like, now, I will say this. All right. Nick, Sir, Nick Sirianni came off as a bit of a clown in the beginning. But the videos I've seen of him breaking down with wide receivers why you run the route the way you run. If you do this and you get him moving this way, like those types of things, I'm telling you, that's exciting for me because what was one of the main issues that we had last year with this offense? Wide receivers couldn't get open. That was an issue. They did, I just feel like the last the last coaching staff did not drill all right, wide receiver, wide receiver routes as much as these guys are. I mean, these guys are really, truly drilling it. And the difference between... Uh, an average route runner and a good route runner it's like night and day because that good route runner can at least get somewhat open and that opens up the opportunity for guys to get the ball in their hands and we don't have to worry about drops like we've been worried about for the past couple of years that's really and you know what i did i'm not even gonna lie this morning I got up and I did a little tape work on my birthday. I, I'm not even going to lie to you. All right. I, 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 did, work. I did some tape work and I looked and it just seemed like guys were struggling to get open. And as a result of them struggling to get open, it was harder for them to get the ball in their hands because there's a cornerback in their face. Yep. So with the addition of, you know, this coaching staff and them drilling these route running skills, I think these right receivers, I'm really looking forward to these right receivers. I know there's really only one main guy that we're looking out for, and that's Devontae Smith. But I really do think that this coaching staff is really going to elevate the game on the rest of the right receivers. Well, see, I think I, I'm sticking to my point, right? We had the video discussion. I said 10 and 7. I said 10 and 7. That's where the Eagles are going to go. I'm keeping that optimism. Late in the season, the schedule gets super easy, on paper at least, and we'll see what happens as the year progresses. But – this is one of those things where you talk about the rise and falls of teams, right? The Eagles were on the rise. They're on the rise. They're making the playoffs, making the playoffs. They got the NFC Championship game, won the Super Bowl, and then there's a the downfall, of course, the next few years following that. Still made the playoffs. It was literally just like a upward slope yep. and then a downward slope because after the Super Bowl, they still made the playoffs, didn't win the Super Bowl, and they just continued to the downfall from there. Yep. Last season was rock bottom for, for the team, uh, not only on the field with the wins and losses, but also with Carson Wentz and all the off-the-field drama and front office drama and things like that. Now, most of that's been cleared out, new coach, new quarterback, but the front office is still intact with Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie at the helm, so we'll see if they're able to bounce back this year. I expect more than four wins, but at the same time, this needs to be just a growing year. You know, I, you don't expect the yeah. team to win the division this year. I'm sticking with 10 wins. If they win seven games, I will still, you know, I'm not going to be happy, but I will still accept it because that's a progression from last year. And that's basically what you want to see in the NFL. Yes. You just want to see growth, progression. You want to see Jalen Hurts, if he's going to be your guy uh, going forward to progress and be able to play well uh, at the quarterback position, if that's the direction the Eagles are going to go into. But at the end of the day, I know you wanted to bring up the Deshaun Watson situation yeah. because that's also something where, the Eagles could look into and they're inquiring about. I'm going to get into that in a moment. It's going to link into what I'm going to talk about for, for the Deshaun Jackson situation. And there's a, it, 
I like to get into the camp battles. I do. I like to go mm-hmm. position by position, and I like to look and see, you know, where a battle might be brewing. Quarterback, I'm not really concerned about. Let's be honest here. Joe Flacco ain't pushing for no starting job. He ain't coming to be oh. the starter. He's going to be a backup. Jalen Hurts is going to be the starter. Running back. Now, for me personally, I do think there's a bit of a battle, and I'm going to tell you why. Miles Sanders kind of struggled last year in terms of his pass blocking and in terms of his pass receiving last year. He dropped a lot of balls that could have resulted in either huge gains or touchdowns. So there's a reason why the Eagles drafted Kenneth Gainwell in the fourth round and the reason why they're, they, you know, they're, they're really liking that guy. All right. This is a guy who was, who did it all at Memphis. He truly did. He was a, he was an all round back and that's not something that you need to overlook. Listen, I, I've said this before. Running backs are like a dime a dozen. Like you can grab another running, you can grab a running back from the from the heap of free agency and make him into a superstar. Like it's easily possible. There's no reason why you know you can. Oh, you should overpay or overcompensate for a running back. Yes, the running game is still important, but that doesn't mean that you need to put a whole lot of value into a running back. So the minute a running back messes up, guess what? Eh, that running back could be on the way out. So I'm not going to say that it's a big training. It's a big training camp battle, but I think it is something that, you know, you, we kind of need to pay attention to because if Miles Sanders does not, you know, do does not perform better than he did the previous year. And guess what? He's, his job is going to be taken. And also remember Jordan Howard's on this team again as well. We all remember how Jordan Howard played. You know, that power running back, put your shoulder pad down and just run right through the hole. That's the that's the way Jordan Howard runs. All right, so there's a battle brewing in that running back room. I will say that. The right receivers we pretty much address. We I, we pretty much know how that's going to you know fold out. Right. Tight end is a question mark with, you know, Zach Ertz, but he's still on the team. And I'm hearing, I'm hearing rumors that he is still going to show up for training camp. So there's that. Now we get into the offensive linemen. And... That left tackle spot is a battle spot. Me personally, I don't think it should, but it is. All right. You have the seventh round draft pick who played last year and joined my lot and did exceptionally well at the left tackle spot. Then you have the guy who was supposed to precede the all pro Jason Peters, and that was Andre Dillard. All right. It, unfortunately, he wasn't able to get onto the field due to his, you know, his lack of play and also his injuries as well, which aren't entirely his fault. But in football, you're going to have to fight through injuries. And I think some of those injuries, eh, he, he possibly, I'm hearing he could have fought through. I'm not going to get into that. But that's a battle to look out for. I hope they don't give it to Andre Dillard just based off of the fact that he was a first-round pick. All right, don't, don't, I, I hate that. All right, if a guy can play, he can play. I don't care if he's drafted in the first round or the seventh round or he went undrafted. If he's the best player that's going to solidify your team and make your team better, play him. All right, now, defensive linemen, you know, they're pretty much set. Linebackers are always going to be in question mark because I, I, look, I, I, the optimism is growing in, in the Eagles locker room for the linebackers, but I'm, I'm still like, listen, there's not a linebacker on this squad I'm really that confident in. I'm sorry. No, no. And you still need a cornerback. Like, that's the one thing. Steven Nelson is still out there. I understand money might be a concern. That cornerback two spot needs to be solidified. And it does not need to be filled by somebody who is shorter than five foot ten. We've discussed that. You cannot go into a season with your cornerback two being five foot ten. We know how that ended up. Example, Avante Maddox. I'm just saying. That's just my well, personal. See, let me let me let me uh, let me start with the running backs. All right, let's go, let's let's kind of start there. I think a lot of people are wondering, is Miles Sanders ever going to turn into that bell cow running back that we all thought he would be? And Doug Peterson didn't use the running backs like a bell cow type of role. It wasn't Miles Sanders, and then the guys would get behind him would get a few carries. It was kind of a mixed bag. So when you have Miles Sanders here uh, with Kenneth Gainwell behind him, with Boston Scott there, with Jordan Howard, what are your expectations with how these guys are going to be used? Because I personally want to see Miles Sanders get some run. I mean, this is a guy who's going into a contract year. He's going to want to get another deal at the end of the season, of course. And I don't know if he's going to get the opportunity to really showcase his full potential in an Eagle uniform if Nick Sirianni is, in, is going to use him the same way Doug Peterson did. Now, I'm not expecting him to do that. Mm-hmm. I think what we saw in Indianapolis, still a different approach based on the fact that Marlon Mack got hurt early in the season last year. And then it was basically a split between Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor Correct. and a sprinkle in um, a little bit of Jordan Wilkins as well. But 
now that you have Gainwell, a legitimate pass catching back, you have Sanders, who we all expected he was going to be one of those Pro Bowl type players, and he hasn't really reached that hit, that ceiling yet. So when you talk about, now I'm, I'm not talking about first and ten, we run the football. I'm not talking about right. you know yarded situation. I'm talking about when when you look at the talent, you know kind of how to rank them, but how do you think Nick Sirianni is going to use them? Well, that, that's the you know what that's the big question mark. And Nick Sirianni at least does have a history of you know wanting to run the football. We do know this going into the season, and that is that Nick Sirianni will run the ball more than Doug Peterson did. All right, we definitely know that for a fact. So it could be possible that we're going to have a three-headed monster with Gainwell, with Jordan Howard, and with Miles Sanders. Because the thing of the matter is, I just don't think with all these additions to the running back room, it. it, it I just get the feel that they don't have that confidence in Miles Sanders that a lot of the fans have. Like, there's certain things that Miles Sanders, like, Miles, first off, I think Miles Sanders is a dynamic running back. I think he's a home run hitter, and I think he's a big run waiting to happen. All right, we've seen that a couple of times in the previous season. But it's the struggles. It's the part that he, it's the part that he struggles with. Some of the things that he struggles with is the issues that this, all right, this coaching staff has in terms of his pass blocking. All right, in terms of his pass receiving, which it in which this previous year he did drop a lot of balls. That's concerning for an offense because in any in you can go through all thirty-two offenses in the NFL. You need a running back that's going to catch that ball out of the backfield. All right, that's definitely a requirement. You can't do that. You're not getting on the field. So that's why I say, you know what? I, it, that's a camp. That's a battle that you're really going to need to pay attention to, and not not a lot of people are talking about that battle. But you're really going to need to pay attention to how they're using the running backs in training camp because it could be an indication of how they use it use them during the regular season. Another guy here to mention too, also that I almost forgot about, Carryon Johnson joining mm-hmm. the wow, the yeah, backers, go so. figure. I forgot about Carryon Johnson. Yes, it's going to be an interesting. Uh, it's going to be an interesting time for for these running backs. I really don't know how it's all going to play out. Again, you have uh, you have that offensive line, which is kind of where I want to get to now. You talk about the injuries, and if the injuries uh, don't really impact this team as much as you know some people might think, especially with Brooks coming off those uh, those big time injuries there with his Achilles. But if he's able to come back and just be nearly what he used to be, and Lane Johnson, of course, as well, are you expecting again to have Brooks on one side and Sam Milo on the other side, or does Herbig or anybody else have a chance to make a run? I think right now that's going to be those are going to be your your starters at guard are you know Isaac Ciamalo and um, and Brandon Brooks for the time being unless injuries happen. Now I'm hearing that Nate Nate Herbig you know are make, is making strides. Um, he did he did okay last this past season. I think I think he was a little on the large side for in my opinion, but right. apparently he has lost weight and you know he's really taken his his role seriously. He's been really working on. It. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Lane Johnson apparently. Um, he was one of the hosts for an offensive line camp in Dallas. And one of the people that was there, Nate Herbig. So I think that's really good to be able to learn from those guys, not only at that camp, but also being teammates of his. I think that'll really benefit him. I think Nate Herbig really will be the number one backup guard going into this season. And it, Well, I'm not the biggest fan of Isaac Ciamalo. So if he can, if he can supplant Ciamalo, hey, all power to you. Well, I want to mention this real quick to you now when we flip and touch on the defense here. You touch on the defensive line, talk about Brandon Graham, uh, talk about Derek Barnett, Ryan Kerrigan. Is that going to be almost how it was a couple years ago where you have almost a rotation of guys? And, you know, there's not going to be one guy that really stands out and is going to play, you know, 90% of the snaps. It's going to be almost like, you know, when you need to breathe, they're all coming and get you and then vice versa. That's pretty much the theme that every NFL team goes to now is there's a constant rotation now of their defensive linemen and their guys. They want the fresh guys in. You know, they keep pressure on that offensive line. And, yes, it's it's essentially going to be like that. It's going to be a constant rotation. Now, my thing about the rotation is that as long as the best players who's playing well are out there, like, I don't care if they're starters. I don't. I don't care about any of that. I want the best players to play on second, third down. All right? I need those guys out there on the money down. Listen, if the best player happened to be at that day, Ryan Kerrigan, and he's tearing a hole through the offensive lineman, then damn it, put him out there. Put him out there defensive tackle. I don't care. Make sure he's rushing the passer. That's the mentality that I hope they need to have. And listen, another thing is doing more tape work. This is why I did not like 
Jim Schwartz's defense. It was way too simplistic. They went through and pretty much penetrated the same gaps on the offensive line. That's an issue because you become predictable. There were hardly any stunts. All right, it was bad enough they didn't blitz, but when you don't stunt, when you don't keep the offensive line on edge, the same it's gonna it, it's gonna you're not gonna get to the quarterback like that. You're not gonna get to the quarterback as effectively as you want to. Even a quarterback hit or a pressure that helps, but if you don't change it up and you keep doing the same thing over and over again, well, that's an easy day for an offensive line. You're not trying to you're not forcing them to think so. That's the one thing that I do hope that they they have figured out from last year is that, listen, let's throw in some stunts up in there. Let's blitz some. Like, I want to see some exotic blitzes, man. Agree with you. I think that's what the Eagles are going to have to do to create pressure, and that's one thing they were good at during their big-time run of playoff appearances and Super Bowl championship was be able to create blitzes in order to get to the quarterback. Not only that, but be able to just have pressure from the front four, not even blitzing. Um, and, and Jim Schwartz was known not to. And, and when he did, it usually was a good result. But the front four was one of those things where they were able to get to the quarterback without really needing to bring that extra man. So I want to touch on here the back end of stuff here. We talk about Darius Slay. We know he's going to be plug and play. Right. You have your safeties. Rodney McLeod, if he's healthy, he's going to be in. Anthony Harris, of course. You might need to see a little uptick in playing time uh, and ability even in Kayvon Wallace. Yeah. Um, you have Andrew Adams, who they brought in from Tampa Bay. So your, your safeties are you know not great, but it should be an improvement, I hope. The question still remains, who's playing opposite of Darius Slay? And is he on the roster at this point in time? In my personal opinion, I don't think so. I, I, I There's no way you can really go into this next season with only one outside corner, that being Darius Slay. Everybody else is a slot. Zach McPherson, like I'm hearing people, I'm hearing stuff as well about Zach McPherson possibly being the cornerback, being cornerback too. Zach McPherson's five foot ten. I'm not saying he can't play on the outside. I'm not saying you know that he can't succeed. But I want my outside guys big. Okay, I do not want my outside guys to be small. All right, these these receivers are getting bigger each year. They're getting faster each year. I need someone who is going to. I need someone who's going to just be, compete. Be all serviceable. Right? You be, be serviceable. serviceable. Like that's my main issue with through all of this is just Avante Maddox pissed me off last year. You cannot mm-hmm. put a slot corner on the outside and think you can get away with it. That's just not gonna happen. You need Avante Maddox five foot nine inches tall. You need a tall corner. Bare minimum five eleven. I want to mention this. I want to mention this real quick, too. One of your work colleagues, Elliot Shore Parks, has mentioned, and I'm not going to say this right now. I'm not going to say that he is a fan of Michael Jaquette. He loves Michael Jaquette. I'm not saying anything like that. I saw a tweet that he put out. He said people were overreacting a little bit to the Michael Jaquette game against Dallas last year where he got destroyed by Amari Cooper. Now, Michael Jaquette being six feet, one inches tall is probably one of your taller or tallest corners on the roster, and he might be either besides Avante Maddox, one of your only guys on the roster that has uh, experience playing at the NFL level in real games on the outside. But at this point in time, if we have to go into a season where you have Jaquette as your starting cornerback too, do we really I want think to do you're, that? Yeah, you're, you're, it's a recipe for disaster because you're playing with fire. You really should go out there and get somebody that's able to come in here and be, like you mentioned, serviceable. Steven Nelson is still out there on the open market. Bare minimum, get somebody at least who's going to push the guys. All right. If you're good, look, don't please don't think that Michael Jaquette is an option for cornerback two because the reality is he's not. All right. He's at, no, not in the NFC East. And that's just the NFC East. We're not even talking about everybody else that we have to play this season. So you need a cornerback two. All right. I think with some, with some young guys, I've always believed that sometimes. They just need to sit back and watch a veteran. Watch how a veteran plays. Watch how a veteran prepares. Then when their time comes, I think that in most situations, they become better players because they sat back and watched. Too often, we're just ready to throw these young guys into the fire when they're just not ready. Look, sometimes it's just good to just sit back and observe and look and listen and learn. Yeah. And you need, listen, you have a lot of young guys on this roster now. They need some veteran presence 
All right, I'm not saying you have to be like we've been the last couple of seasons and we have nothing but veterans and hardly any young guys who can really either compete for any play or play at all. All I'm saying is sprinkle a couple of veterans here and there in, in the in the individual positions. And in this situation for a cornerback, you, you you definitely need some experience, okay, on that opposite end of there you select. No doubt. You mentioned a great point there as well. The receivers that the Eagles have to play in this division, you cannot go into a season – and have Jaquette as your number two corner, in my opinion. I think that's one of the things I wanted to bring up. You had Landon Dickerson being drafted there in the second round. People raised their eyebrows about it. Why in the hell did the Eagles take Landon Dickerson coming off a major injury? His history of injuries, not even his injury at Alabama, but previously, uh, you know, that's a lengthy list of things that he's had to deal with. And I think that's where the Eagles should have jumped up and slammed on a cornerback in that second round, especially an outside guy to be able to at least come in as a rookie, and you mentioned that word serviceable, uh, second-round picks usually, uh, at the worst, are serviceable because they're right. so, so highly touted, usually coming out of college. He, whoever that guy could have been, he could easily be on the roster right now. We wouldn't even be having this conversation. Exactly. But for some reason, and they, they drafted Lander Dickerson. Mind you, he's not even signed yet, which is pretty concerning because he's dealing with the injuries. I'm sure they're having a dispute of what he should be paid, what money should be guaranteed, and things like that. But at the end of the day, when it's this late into the summer and you don't, you still don't have one of your draft picks signed. That's definitely going to make you turn your head a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. That's an issue that, yeah. And they're probably putting in a bunch of injury clauses to protect themselves yeah. as well. Like, yeah, 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 it's a bit of an issue. Now I understand why I looked at the Landis Dickerson tape and he is the perfect lineman that I could have ever asked for. Like I, I want lineman who likes to put asses on the ground. That is my main theme. Asses on the ground. That's what Lana Dixon does. He is absolutely disgusting when it comes to his play. All right, he will not quick stop. Too. He's got yes. quick. He's got that speed for a six foot Agility. six guy. Yes, quick, strong to at the point of attack, and will put you on your ass. That's the type of player I need. It's the injuries that concern me, but I don't expect to see him this year. So you know, we'll wait and see how that develops. But yeah, we you could have really used a cornerback at that second round spot. Let's be honest here. That's what I was shooting for. See, that's really legitimately what I was shooting for. And the fact that they weren't able to get the job done there and take a, take a cornerback in the second round was frustrating to me. And it still is because, you know, we're months removed from the draft now. And we heard all the topics right afterwards. Oh, why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? And then it's like, after it gets to a point where it's like, okay, we can't change what happened. But as we get to the season now as fans, and we see what this team is and who we have on paper, it makes you turn your head and go back to the draft and say, hey, we should have done this, we should have done that. And At this I, point, we're set in stone. And I hope we don't you know, get to that point during the season where you know the other cornerback, whoever that may be, is struggling. We're like, oh, we should have picked this guy. Look how this guy's playing. You know how, you know how us Eagles fans do. I, I hope well, we don't do that. And God forbid something happens to Darius Slay and he gets hurt because – if that were to happen, that crushes your entire secondary. You can't really, or you, I shouldn't say you can't, you don't want to rely on that. And, uh, you know, because injuries, it's the NFL. People are going to get banged up. People are going to get hurt. Even if they're not put on, you know, IR or something like that, they're going to get banged up. They're going to miss games. They're not going to be 100% as the season goes on. That's just NFL football. And for me, that's something that you just have to keep in mind. And, and as the season goes on and even early in training camp, it's something to look at. And I would hope this, the Eagles go out and address that position. So I want to leave it there. I want to bring up and I want to touch on the Flyers here. I know we don't have Chris to really give us a solid amount of information on this Mm -hmm. Brian Ellis trade, but I want to give my two cents on it because right now I think we all have to take a a step back and give the Flyers uh, an opportunity here. You know, two years ago they went to the playoffs, took the Islanders there late in the seven games, lost. This year was a train wreck. We understand that, you know, really everybody kind of bailed off. You know, we haven't talked a lot of Flyers on the podcast. And you know what, honestly, rightfully so. But that's only because we've seen the same exact team, the same exact roster performances and things like that, basically, for the last, you know, five, six, seven years. And I think this is finally one of those trades where you take a guy in Nolan Patrick, who you drafted second overall, you got rid of him, and you admit that you had a bust draft pick. I mean, Nolan Patrick was supposed to be a guy that's going to come in here, could be your next captain, your next, you know, Claude Giroux, if he could even get to that level with his potential. That's kind of where he was supposed to be. Now, that, that was for my opinion. Mm. Other people who are listening to this might say, oh, no, Nolan Patrick wasn't supposed to be a Claude Drew. He was supposed to be a second-tier lineman or whatever, you know, your second line. 
I don't think so. I think you, when you're drafted number two overall in NHL, you're supposed to be one of the captains. One eventually, I'm yeah. saying not immediately, but eventually. And now he's going to get traded uh, to the to the Vegas Golden Knights. And Phil Myers, a promising defenseman who the Flyers thought you know what they were high on, and, and and he is he is not on the team anymore. So we talk about the historically bad defensive Flyers they had last year. And I when, when Chris and I would have the conversations, do you know this? Oh yeah. I would always say build from the goaltender forward. If you don't have a goalie. What the hell are you gonna? What are you gonna do? Score a bunch of goals? You're gonna give up a ton, and of that goals. makes sense. That really does. Exactly, and you can't. You got hard. You got Carter Hart, and that's kind of what solved that problem. Now, again, I know he wasn't his best last year. I think there's some developmental issues behind the scenes with Elaine and Yo. People are saying that he's not developing Carter Hart the way he should be. The guy is still 21, 22 years old. Right. I'm sure he's gonna be fine. He's he's still. We got a, a sky high ceiling, in my opinion. I've said that a couple of times myself about Carter. I, I've came to his defense, like, look, he, he's a young guy. Just give give him some time. It, it, don't no chastise him yet. No doubt. And then that's when you take the next step forward. You know what comes after that? The defenseman, and that's kind of where the Flyers' problems were. I defense. always thought the Flyers didn't value defensemen. The word defense. I always thought they went for defensemen that could take the slap shots from the you know the blue line and really score like almost offensive defenseman in a way always looking to score not trying to actually play defense and stop guys from scoring on the other way and i thought when they traded ratko gudis i don't know if you remember this to you it's been a while now mm. he was one of those guys chris and i would always talk about where we would have discussions about how physical he played i mean that dude was a defenseman he mm-hmm. would hit you and knock you off the puck and basically, it's not a you know a pretty play. It's not like oh wow, Racco Gudis, look at that goal he scored. Because when you watch as a casual fan and you just see these two big defensemen knocking people around, it's like okay, I guess they're doing their job, but they're not going to score any goals. But that's literally what the defensemen's jobs are. And the Flyers were out of position defensively so many times. There's so many two on one opportunities, breakaways for the other team that really hurt the Flyers. And then you want to transition and talk about the scoring. You have young p- potential and, you know, Oscar Lindblom and Joel Faraby that we talk about. Those guys are young, promising players. But what have we always mentioned? It's Claude Giroux, Jake Borchek, Sean Couturier, who's still a good player, but these Veterans. same names every year. Yep. There's no change going on. And I think that's one thing that frustrates the fan base. So you think, um, you think honestly, there needs to be uh, some change on from the old guard? Yeah, I think so. And that kind of transitions into the topic where we talk about that expansion team, right? The Kraken are coming to Seattle. They're going to be an expansion draft coming up. And the Flyers had to protect some players uh, because the expansion draft is basically the new team picking players off of each other individual team. Mm. So you basically protect your top guys in your, that, that, that the team thinks, in their opinion, is their best players. And then you gotta you got to basically cut loose in a way or at least expose them to the portal about who you're going to keep and who you're not going to keep. The Flyers kept Claude Giroux, but one name they didn't keep is Jake Voracek. They put Jake Voracek into that portal. So I think if the Jake doesn't get picked up by the Kraken, there could be a trade worked out. And one big-time name, I know neither of us are hockey experts here, mm-hmm. but Vladimir Tarasenko from the St. Louis Blues. Very, very, very good player. Very good winger. He is a goal scorer, and uh, he's still uh, one of those situations, almost like a Deshaun Watson situation to relate it to football, where – He's a disgruntled star, and he wants out of St. Louis. So that is good for the Flyers because they might be able to take whatever capital they have, whether it be draft picks, whether it be players, and not, you know, I guess in a way spend or trade a huge haul just to get this guy because at the end of the day, St. Louis might just be looking to get him out of town. They're not looking for a huge return um, back from a different team. So that's kind of the standpoint where how the Flyers getting better well, one obviously is through the draft, others through trades. They just made one for this Ryan Ellis, and that's kind of where I want to touch on and, and kind of leave this topic at. Right. Ryan Ellis, very good defenseman, came from the Nashville Predators. He's 30 years old. He's still under contract through 2027. So this is a guy who's going to play defense. Today. You talk about football guys playing actual defense and not just right. running around in circles out there. This guy doesn't just skate around in circles. <laughs> this guy plays actual defense, which is what you want to see. And, when again, what makes a defenseman elite? You play great defense, but also you get the best of both worlds. You're able to score that puck when it's at you at the blue line. Um, be a good skater. I think that's, you know, it's funny, real quick, T. Skating in hockey is so overlooked, I think, sometimes. Like, you yeah. always touch on the the skill with the stick and things like that. 
But if you if you can anticipate, you know, Wayne Gretzky always said this, one of the best players ever. Yeah. If you can't, don't go after the puck if you can't anticipate where it's, the puck's going to be and to get to that point, skate to that direction or and take different lines away because you're on ice. If you don't take that correct line, there's no getting back and going the other. You can't recover. You know what I mean? So it's all about wherever you are. And again, when you're watching on TV, it's like the puck is just, it, it's a, it's a piece of, you know, rubber just getting hit all over the place. But I think as fans, sometimes the fly, the flyer faithful get mad at us because they're saying, no, more goes into it. You know, it's not just a bunch of guys skating around in circles. You know, there's actual, you know, plays and things like that. They're trying to draw up. I think, I've so heard, I think that's, I, th- I think I've definitely heard Chris say that before in, um, in the many of our discussions, but, um, yeah. yeah. Nobody cares about hockey, Max. I just had to put that out I'm saying this because this, this is, I'm, Hey, listen, I'm protecting both of us here. This is why I'm protecting both of us. Cause if the Eagles season turns sour, right? The Sixers are in, who knows what they're going to do with Ben Simmons and the Phillies haven't made the playoffs in 10 years. You're looking at a possible Flyers situation. T. I'm not. I'm not going to say it live right now. I'm not going to say we got to jump on the Flyers bandwagon and they're number one because they'll never be number one in Philadelphia. We know that. Mm-mm. But you have to. You have to at least give a little bit. Give me five percent of your ninety-five percent sports love, and just kind of push that a little bit in towards the Flyers. Every now and again, yeah. open the ESPN app, maybe <laughs> scroll through. Who's this new player the Flyers got? You know who's. Who's got the most goals scored? You know, little things like that just okay. keep you informed. Okay, I'll give it a two. I'll, I'll increase my two point five percent to at least you know four point five. You know, I like it. Yeah, see, and that's I'm, little. I'm, we're I'll, I'll do step. that. I'll, I'll do that. But it's baby it's step. and it's funny that you mentioned um, Deshaun Watson um, going into our last and final topic. It's funny that you mentioned that we've talked about this before, but apparently, from what I'm hearing, is that the Deshaun Watson you. We all know about the situation with Deshaun Watson and, you know, the the masseuses that's come out and have claimed, you know, sexual assault allegedly. And it's it's it seems like it's disappeared from the media. And there's a reason to it. And the reason to it is that these these lawsuits are dropping off. They're slowly but surely dropping off. Nobody's really talking about them anymore like that. And it's crazy. And um, you know what? How about this? How about we get Tanner on the line and get his opinion on this Deshaun Watcher situation? Because we just started talking about this, and I was explaining to everybody, including Max, what the Deshaun situation was going, what's going on, and why all of a sudden the Deshaun Watcher rumors are coming back into play. So go ahead, Tanner. Yes, sir. How's it going, guys? What's How's up? it going? Yo, what's up? You know, what's even, up? even at the beach or wherever I am, I'm still – Still going to be a part of this podcast. Goddamn right. Um, but this is an interesting topic um, uh, that I, I want to get into. I won't be on here too long, but um, I just—I'm not—I don't agree with this. I don't agree with the rumors. Um, I don't think this is good for the Eagles right now because you have—you're closing in on the season starting. You have Jalen Hurts working out as the number one quarterback right now, uh, building that relationship with his teammates. And then you have now, obviously Nick Sirianni, he didn't pinpoint a QB one. Really. He said there was a competition between Joe Flacco and Jalen hurts, which we all know is ridiculous, but you have Jeffrey Lurie who months ago said that he would like Jalen hurts to be their number one guy. Now you have more drama. You're adding more drama to the whole situation where you're coming in on training camp now. Um, I guess there's some guys on that team who are really not sure who the quarterback is going to be. Um, I like Jalen Hurts. I think that he will show why he can be starting quarterback uh, in this upcoming season. And I think if you go to a guy like Deshaun Jackson with the – uh, the accusations circling around him, 22, I believe. Yep. Uh, there are 22 civil lawsuits against him. And they're slowly but surely dropping off now. There's not really been a lot of movement uh, with that situation. Now you have him probably going on the commissioner's list. And, but Definitely, I, yeah. you, you can't have that as a con against the whole situation as it, it goes with the Eagles signing a guy like that because you have the history with Riley Cooper, Deshaun Jackson, Mike Vick, 
So really, a team that picks up Deshaun, or Deshaun Watson is going to have to deal with the public relations. But I mean, that's the Eagles can do that. There's plenty of other teams that can afford to do that. Um, it's just, you, you go into that, you're going to lose some fans who aren't from Philly maybe that were rooting for the Eagles in that case. But that, that, that doesn't matter. The big picture is this team. Uh, whoever's on the team makes it a better team. Um, and the whole point is to play better. I agree with Tanner. I agree with you in terms of not wanting that PR. My issue, I, my issue I, is, um, and I, I agree with you, I want Jalen Hurts. The issue yeah. is with Deshaun Watson and why he's always going to be surrounded with these rumors, these trade rumors, especially for us, is because we have three first-round picks. We have the capital to be able to trade for him. And unfortunately, it seems like this organization is not 100% confident in Jalen Hurts, which I personally have an issue with because you drafted him in the second round for a reason. You don't draft nobody in the second round to be a backup. That's the reason why Carson Wentz isn't here now because he felt threatened. All right. The reality is you believe someone in Jalen Hurts. So there's no reason why you should be looking to other teams for your quarterback solution. If Jalen Hurts doesn't work out, you just draft another quarterback. Right, Tanner. I but, think I think real quick, and I agree with your situation and what you're saying. I think you made a good point. I just want to give my two cents. I think you made a great point with the seasons coming up because Tina, I didn't mention that. We talked about the talent on the field, but we didn't mention you know that's a headache you don't want to deal with with the season fast approaching. And that is true. Exactly. Now, why would Deshaun Watson want to come to a team like the Philadelphia Eagles with a new quarter with a new head coach um, that really hasn't sold himself as a head coach yet because he hasn't coached an NFL game? Um, and you have Sean Watson. Now he knows he's a great player and he knows that teams are willing to look past, um, everything that he's done wrong, which is unacceptable. And it's going to take a lot for him to, to gain trust back in the locker room as if he can be, you know, he's got to be a good guy on and off the field. But for me, in this decision, I'm still. I'm. I just want to make it clear. I would rather have Jalen Hurts right now. And I can, um, now. Yeah. I, I know that Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback um, right now, but it's the, the possibility of Jalen Hurts possibly turning into a great quarterback. Got the chemistry with Smith already, and I'm excited for this season. But I want to run past the scenario with you guys. I saw right. Elliot Short Parks posted this. Would you guys, if you were in the Eagles' office? Mm-hmm. Would you give to the Texans two first-round picks, a second, Zach Ertz, and Jalen Hurts for Deshaun Watson? To me, that's a no-brainer. I wouldn't do it, but I just wanted to hear an opinion from you guys. Go ahead. Go ahead, Max, because I'll close it out. It's crazy. It's crazy because you talk about the talent like Deshaun Watson. If there was no off-the-field issues, I probably would do it. You have a disgruntled player in Zach Ertz who really doesn't want to play in the Eagles uniform anymore, and you have Jalen Hurts who's not as good as you know Deshaun Watson is. So. To me, I don't know if I'm as far-fetched to saying I, I want Jalen Hurts over Deshaun Watson regardless. I think if this situation can clear up in any sort of way, that's kind of the, the problem right now. It's not getting worse, and it's not getting better. It's just staying stagnant. That's the issue. If you can clear up the situation at all with Jay, or with Deshaun Watson, excuse me, I might have to pull the trigger on that deal because that is going to vault you from having a guy that you have to develop to a guy who's already one of the top five, six quarterbacks in the league and can put you on a path that is maybe two, three years faster to get back to you know relevancy rather than where we are now i think in closing you know what that that is a trade i would definitely explore i don't particularly care for um i'm not gonna say i don't care for deshaun watson but you know the the situation at hand it's it's a horrible pr move and it's really scary and you're talking about giving up assets that you can use to help build your team you know that's two first round picks that's a that's a it's a hefty asset. But we're talking about a franchise quarterback in Deshaun Watson. And I agree with Tanner from the standpoint that, you know, is he going to really want to come here? But at the same time, you know, with all the PR stuff that Deshaun Watson's gone through, he really doesn't 110% have a choice into where he, where he wants to go. All he knows is he wants out. And I think that's the main thing. So it, without the PR stuff, would I do it? Yes. Yeah, I would. But at the current moment, I really want to see what Jalen Hurts can do. That's just my two cents. Tanner, appreciate you calling in. Yeah. Enjoy of your vacation. Of course, guys. Enjoy I your vacation. Say, I just want to say 
one more thing. You guys have a great rest of your show. Um, and I got some good juju coming because I was on the beach earlier. Uh-huh. And a seagull shit on me, so I'm pretty sure that means <laughs> that means good luck. So Indeed. I'm gonna I'm gonna end it out with go birds, uh, except specifically for that seagull that shit on my shoulder. <laughs> well, since- All right, man. Hey, I hope it doesn't happen to you again because you know once is enough. You don't need double good luck. Hopefully, but- exactly. Okay. All right, boys. All right, Tanner. Later. You guys missed any of this episode, you can always go to philly-experience.simplecast.com. Available on all major downloadable platforms. Damn, that was a good birthday show. <laughs> I appreciate that. Appreciate y'all spending time with us. Ooh, that was funny. Because that guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Crap-ass Vargas. Get off the box! You dumbass.